This is Crime Connections. We're your hosts. I'm Leah. And I'm Jackie. Our next case is going to discuss the murder of Chelsea Brooke, also known as the Poison Ivy murder. Usually, we choose cases that are unsolved and we work to bring awareness to those cases. But this particular case happened close to Toledo and it sheds light on the importance of DNA evidence. We are always emphasizing how much DNA evidence helps detectives with a case. And for the case of Chelsea Brooke, DNA is the only thing that led detectives to a suspect. Chelsea Brooke was a 22-year-old waitress at a restaurant in Frenchtown Township, Michigan. She was the youngest of five children and had aspirations to attend culinary school and become a chef. On the night of October 25th, 2014, Chelsea dressed up as Poison Ivy and attended a rather massive Halloween party hosted by Mike Williams and his band Pickaxe Preacher. Every year, Mike Williams hosted this party, and over time, it became extremely popular and crowded. It was reported that night that nearly 600 people had attended that Halloween party. Which is a lot of freaking people. It's a lot of people. That's more than, like, most weddings. Yeah. <laughs> it's like three weddings of one night. I know. How you fit that many people at one party, he must have. Yeah, so this must, was it in a giant field? Yeah. Okay. So out in, like kind of like, the, or something? Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Chelsea had taken the time to make her own outfit and had sewn leaves onto the top and wore black leggings with a dark wig over her blonde hair. She was also carrying around a wine bottle labeled Poison. Chelsea attended the party with her friend Rebecca Brinson. The two had somewhat stuck together throughout the night, but when Rebecca was ready to leave, Chelsea wanted to stay and hang out at the party longer. So Chelsea did not drive to the party herself. She rode with her friends. So she would have had to get a ride from somebody in order to get home. Yeah. Other friends had seen Chelsea at the party throughout the night and hadn't seen her drinking a lot of alcohol. So she was in no shape to be driving anybody anywhere safely. She wasn't severely intoxicated when she was last seen by her friends, but there's a lot of contradiction with some witnesses saying that she had been drinking heavy amounts of alcohol. So... It's kind of hard. There's that kind of blurred line. Some say yeah. she was, some say she wasn't. And I mean, first of all, like, how would you even know it was her? I'm sure there was right. more than one poison ivy mm-hmm. there. There's 600 people. Yeah. I just don't see the likelihood of you paying attention to one person. Right. And they happen to. And knowing like what their drink count is for the night. Yeah. I just don't see that being a possibility. When Chelsea's friends offered her a ride home, she had refused multiple times and was ultimately left alone at the party. When I say that she was alone, I just mean that she was left without any of her friends being there with her. There were so many people at the party that the majority of the crowd were probably complete strangers to Chelsea. Yeah. So this is when I can see that some people believe she was heavily intoxicated because after her friends left, she could have been drinking a lot more and became a little bit more like belligerent. Loose, yeah. But like well, you yeah, said, though, how do you know for sure? And how do you, you don't know her personality? Exactly. What if that's how she is? Mm-hmm. You know, like she might right. be goofy. I don't know. So we take that with a grain of salt. Well, and you also have to think someone could drink two drinks and they could be very tipsy and act crazy you mean like and me? goofy. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I mean, I don't, I don't hardly ever no, drink, it so when I do, yeah. it like hits me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you really just never know. Witnesses had claimed that they had seen Chelsea leaving the party and walking along the side of the road later that night once the party started winding down. And this was around like 2 a.m. So her friends left around midnight and the party was winding down around like 2, 3 a.m. And that's when she was last seen alive. 
The next day when Chelsea had not returned home and nobody had heard from her, Chelsea's parents immediately reported her missing and the search also had started almost immediately. Many friends and family members hung up missing person flyers, they passed out thousands of leaflets with information, and very soon after, like three days after, a $17,000 reward had been offered for any information that would lead to Chelsea's safe return. That's a lot of money. Also, it's mm -hmm. crazy to think that they were able to print all of this stuff so quickly. So quickly. And get all this mm -hmm. going that quickly. I mean, that's very fast. Yeah. And soon after the $17,000 reward had been like offered up, it increased to $30,000 after members of the community all banded together and contributed to try and bring Chelsea home. So all of that made it very clear that her family and herself alone, they were very loved mm -hmm. and everyone was very concerned about her and all they wanted to do was bring her home safe. Yeah. And not to disagree with that mm -hmm. or to say that she was I don't I don't know her obviously I didn't know her mm -hmm. but it's also hearing that makes me sad to think yeah. because there's so many people especially people of color who can barely raise a thousand dollars and that freaking sucks yeah it, it really freaking sucks mm -hmm. and I mean I'm happy for her situation I, I, not the her missing but you know her family being able to raise that money because that's crazy fast and super helpful because people money talks unfortunately oh, yeah. but it also makes me so sad to think that we've covered so many cases of people of color that this has never happened and they can't even raise five thousand mm -hmm. dollars let alone a thousand thirty thousand yeah yeah like i don't know it's craziness yes while the community continued their search and efforts detectives from monroe county sheriff's department questioned everyone that was in attendance at the party that night their hope was that somebody would have seen where she went or who she left the party with. But after their questioning, the only information they really gained was that Chelsea had left with a man that nobody there had known. Some witnesses said she left the party with him, and other witnesses say that they saw her walking on the side of the road and she got picked up by this unknown man. Regardless, though, enough witnesses came forward that she had been picked up by an unknown man. Yeah. Whether it was from the party or from the road, Someone I picked her know, up. Yeah. yeah. And also, Which, you have to think of how dark it is. I'm, out, I'm yeah. sure they didn't have lights and stuff. No. I'm sure it was dark as crap mm -hmm. out there. Yeah. As days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months, people from the community started a purple ribbon campaign to continue bringing awareness to Chelsea's disappearance. Purple was Chelsea's favorite color, and the public wore their ribbons everywhere to show continued support. After months had passed since Chelsea was last seen, the community started to fear that Chelsea would not be found alive. Six months after Chelsea's disappearance, on April 5, 2015, Chelsea's shirt and leggings were uncovered at a construction site by workers in Flat Rock, Michigan. While they were moving dirt for new construction, they found the clothing. And not long after finding the clothing, on April 24, 2015, they found something even more distressing, the naked remains of a woman in a shallow grave. Which, Flat Rock is about 12 miles north of where she originally was-ish, mm -hmm. so depending on exactly where yeah. she was. Yeah, so not there. too far from where she was originally mm -hmm. from. This discovery was made about 10 miles from where the party had taken place, and workers at the construction site immediately called authorities to the scene, and Chelsea's remains were positively identified through her dental records. The post-mortem exam that was performed determined that Chelsea had died from blunt force trauma to the head. Her remains had also shown multiple facial fractures along her jaw and neck and chipped teeth. 
that's it's very rough. clear yes very clear she died in a violent manner and unfortunately now detectives were tasked with finding her murderer there had been dna evidence collected from leggings that chelsea had last worn and in my research there were some conflicting dates on when the dna evidence was obtained so some sources say her leggings were found in april 2015 not long before they found her remains and other sources say that her leggings were found in September of 2015 with DNA evidence on them. The only thing that I can think of is that because the leggings were found ripped, it's possible that the leggings found near the body in April of 2015 did not have DNA. Mm -hmm. And then the leggings found in September of 2015, not too far from the gravesite, had DNA on them. Yeah. So. Which it, makes me want. What? I don't know. I'm just like, what are you doing leaving? How stupid do you have to be? I don't know. That I mean, okay. don't go oh, we'll do get, criminal we'll get things. We'll how stupid people are. But <laughs> regardless, though, the DNA that they found did not match anyone in the police database at that time. It wouldn't be until 2016, so the following year, when the DNA obtained from the crime scene would match a potential suspect. I do want to note that during this time, so almost a whole year after Chelsea had been found, police never stopped actively pursuing Chelsea's case. One year after her disappearance, it was recorded that police had conducted 800 interviews, wow. gathered thousands of tips from the public, had 34 search warrants signed, served wow. 14 subpoenas, and had the assistance of 50 different law enforcement agencies. There wasn't a single tip that wasn't followed up on, and detectives worked tirelessly to find the murderer. I found that interesting. It was noted, all of those numbers, in like three different sources, and I like that because it shows some people are like, well, police weren't doing anything. Yeah. I like knowing how much work they were doing, and I wish that they would maybe come out and show that more for more cases to yeah. be like, I know you think we're not doing anything, but look at everything we have done. And look at everything we're trying yeah. to do. So the 14 subpoenas, that's yeah. very mm -hmm. surprising because like we've talked in the past to get a subpoena, to force someone to come and testify, yep. it's a process. You can't just do it because you think they can have some information. Yeah. You have to present it in front of a jury. They have to agree. And mm -hmm. then the, the subpoena is signed. Yeah. Then you can bring them in. Before and, any of that is done, like well, that's and a lot. thirty-four search warrants. Yeah, that's because a lot you too. have to have enough evidence for a judge to say, "Okay, go ahead, you can go search mm -hmm. this place." And unfortunately, none of that really brought anything. Which but, is crazy. That's mm -hmm. oh, jeez. I remember this case going around often mm -hmm. during this time. I lived in Michigan at the time, so, and I also actually lived with a. Monroe County police officer like mm -hmm. it was my best friend's dad and I, it's crazy because I don't remember him once talking but granted he didn't talk to us about a lot of things going on yeah uh, for obvious reasons but I, I want to now go back and ask him like, like do, do you, you remember this yeah were you a part of it or were mm -hmm. you just not in it I don't really know because I would think he would have mentioned some, I don't know Maybe he would mention it. Maybe he won't. He, he pro honestly, he probably remembers it because so many. I would definitely think he yeah, would remember it. They poured yeah. a lot of resources manpower and into manpower it, yeah. into it. But um, yeah, I want to talk to him about it. Yeah, you should. On July 21st, 2016, detectives discovered that there was a hit on the DNA database CODIS, leading them to their suspect, Daniel Clay. Daniel Clay is a 27-year-old male that had a long criminal history of burglary, drug possession, sexual assault, and home invasion. 
It was because of him stealing a backpack that he had to submit a DNA sample to the police. Essentially, if he had not committed this crime, he never would have been discovered by detectives. It's very likely it would have gone, more years would have gone on Until before else, they yeah. discovered him. Once detectives confirmed that Daniel Clay had attended the same party as Chelsea Brooke, they arrested Clay on July 22nd, 2016. Well, and at that point, I mean, there's no deny whether he attended or not. If yeah, his DNA is on her freaking leggings, mm-hmm. how would you explain that? Oh. Let's get into that. <laughs> During the initial interview, Clay had denied any association with Chelsea. He claimed that he never met her. He had no knowledge of her disappearance or death. But once he was pressed further by detectives, Clay admitted that he had murdered Chelsea Brooke. But with his admission, Clay had stated that the death was accidental and that he didn't mean for Chelsea to die. Yeah, yes. okay. I said that According correctly. To the he said it was an accident. Coroner's... Yeah. yeah, Okay. so we're going to get into all that. When Clay had left the party, he saw Chelsea walking alongside the road, and he offered her a ride home. She accepted and got into the car. Clay states that he and Chelsea discussed and agreed to having sex in his car, and that Chelsea had asked him to choke her during the act. While they were having sex, Clay claims that he had choked and slapped Chelsea because it was what she wanted. After a supposed 30 seconds of doing this, Chelsea's body went limp and Clay freaked out. Oh my gosh. Mm. 30 seconds? Yeah. Okay. He tried performing CPR but could not revive her and he knew she was dead. He didn't know what to do, so he drove around for 30 to 45 minutes after Chelsea died, trying to decide what to do with her body. Eventually, he had parked near a rail bed and transported Chelsea's body from the vehicle to nearby woods and hid her body underneath some brush after he got tired. Then he moved her body again even further into the woods and hid her in a shallow grave under some tree branches. Really quickly, mm -hmm. so forever ago we covered where someone died from choking. Yep. It can take up to four to four five, five minutes, minutes. Mm -hmm. before you yep. are dead. Yeah. Not so 30, 30 seconds. seconds. And like how hard... The amount of force it takes to manually strangle someone is a, lot. is a lot more than like playful choking. Exactly. A lot more. Yes. So to basically summarize all this a little bit better, Daniel Clay is stating that during consensual sexual intercourse with Chelsea Brock, she had instructed him to choke and slap her repeatedly. This led to her losing consciousness and Clay was unable to revive her with CPR. I just want to reference back to the autopsy that was performed that determined Chelsea Brooke had died from blunt force trauma to the head, not asphyxiation. Just yes. want to put that out and there. And also, I am CPR certified, mm -hmm. and almost almost every single time you break ribs and stuff. Oh, yeah. So None of that. Ribs were not broken, None so you're telling that. me you did CPR? Like, I call baloney. Yeah. Not only that, but she had multiple facial fractures that are not caused by slapping. No, did you CPR her face into yeah. a freaking brick? So detectives also knew that this entire story was a lie and had clearly been thought out by Clay over time. Further evidence contradicted his story since Chelsea's leggings had been ripped open along the seams between the legs and one of the straps on her top had been broken. So she clearly struggled. She was mm -hmm. trying to fight him off. On July 25th, 2016, Daniel Clay was charged with second-degree murder. 
While in custody awaiting the trial of Chelsea Brooks' murder, Daniel Clay was also arraigned with first-degree home invasion and sexual misconduct in connection with an assault against a woman in Monroe, Michigan. In at, Monroe. Yeah, at her apartment before he was arrested on murder charges. So clearly there's a pattern of assault. Mm -hmm. He was found guilty for these charges, and the victim did take the stand and testify that Clay had grabbed her by the hair and drug her off the couch. Mm -hmm. He, she was screaming, no, stop, and then he raped her. Oh, my gosh. Clay was also charged with concealing the death of an individual on September 22, 2016, which is also known as disposing a corpse. This charge, if found guilty, carried a maximum penalty of five years in prison. So I think that detectives, they were just trying to slap on as many charges as they could on Daniel Clay. Yeah. So they could ensure that he would be kept in prison in the very unlikely chance that he was proven innocent for Chelsea Brooks' murder, it seemed as though detectives wanted to at least make him serve time for what they knew without a doubt he was guilty for. And yeah. they could even try to maybe build more off of that, but he would be kept in prison. The clearly to keep the other women in the area safe, safe from him. Yeah. Repeat offender. The trial for the murder of Chelsea Brooke began in 2017, and Daniel Clay's defense team was adamant that even though the coroner ruled Chelsea Brooke had died from blunt force trauma to the head, Chelsea had actually died from accidental strangulation during sexual intercourse. Yes. During his testimony, Clay kept with his version of the story that Chelsea's death was merely an accident. He never strayed away from it. His version still contended that he was trying to get her home safely when they agreed to have sex and that while it had ended in tragedy, it was not intentional. Clay went on to claim that while he was disposing Chelsea's body in the woods, he felt so guilty about what had transpired and he was very emotional, even crying when he was covering up her body with branches. I, if that were my loved one and the person that murdered her were saying that, I, it would be so difficult for me not to just want to kill them. The biggest problem that prosecutors and detectives had with this testimony is that at no time did Clay call the police or an ambulance to try and revive Chelsea. He didn't come forward while an entire community spent months looking for Chelsea with hopes that she would return home safely. Clay also could not provide an answer as to how Chelsea had received multiple facial fractures and blunt force trauma to the head. Well, that, and he also denied knowing her yes. in the beginning, mm -hmm. which is a lie. Mm -hmm. So he lied to begin with. So why would we why would the you rest anything? of what he said? Yeah. The defense tried to argue that the branches and the log that Chelsea was found under is what caused the facial fractures and blunt force trauma to the head. So they're saying she was already dead. And after he put her in this shallow grave and some branches fell on her and a log, that's what caused all of her facial fractures and the blunt force trauma. Which... She was not decomposed enough mm -hmm. to the point that if she would have been strangled, she could have. They could have figured that. Yes, out. exactly. So the fact that you're telling me there's no evidence of her being strangled to begin mm -hmm. with, and you're still—I just can't even believe it. I mean, I know the defense has a job to do. They're I know going to it's come just up with so hard can. sometimes, though, to hear their theories and what they say happened. It's like, are you delusional? The coroner testified that while it is possible that when her body was disposed of, the log and branches could have caused some of the injuries, she firmly believed that Daniel Clay is the one that had inflicted the injuries on to Chelsea Brooke. There was also a point in the night of the Halloween party when Chelsea had run face first into a pole and she injured her nose, but the 
coroner very quickly put to rest the claims that walking into a pole would have caused the multiple facial fractures and chipped teeth. There's just, I walk into things almost every day. And I don't have any broken bones yeah. or chipped anything yeah, like from someone, walking in the stuff. Unless someone slapped her across the face with a dick mm-hmm. pole, she's not going to break her face. Exactly. Prosecutor Michael Rorick stated, In the early morning hours of October 26, 2014, Daniel Clay had spotted a young woman walking alongside the road with her wig in hand. Clay stopped and either talked Chelsea into accepting a ride or forced the victim into the vehicle. He then violently raped her and had taken her life. Afterward, he hid his crime. This version of events seems so much more plausible and fits with all the evidence. It was noted during the trial as well that until Clay had realized he was not going to get out of being charged with Chelsea's murder, he had repeatedly denied his involvement with the victim. It wasn't until there was no escape that he had orchestrated a narrative that painted him as the victim and not the monster. Mm-hmm. On May 16, 2017, Daniel Clay was found guilty of concealing a death and felony murder. On July 13, 2017, he was sentenced to life in prison. At the sentencing, Clay spoke to Chelsea's family and apologized for the hurt that he had caused them. Chelsea Brooke's mother, Leanne Brooke, gifted a Bible to Daniel Clay for him to read in prison and extended the compassion and forgiveness that her Catholic faith had taught her. Which, hats off to her. Yeah, Because I just, I can't imagine. No. The judge, on the other hand, was not forgiving. He did not believe that Clay had any remorse and pointed out that there were countless times that Clay's story had changed during interviews and testimony. Before handing down the life sentence, the judge has said it was clear to him that Clay was a rapist, a liar, and a murderer. Exactly, because he clearly had done so many sexual assaults. Like, come Mm -hmm. on. How many is enough? Yeah. Daniel Clay was sentenced to life without parole for felony murder. He was given an additional five-year sentence for the concealment of the death of an individual, so disposing of Chelsea's body and concealing that he had done it. But in 2019, Clay and his defense team had appealed the murder conviction, which was denied. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Clay was also found guilty for the crime I had mentioned earlier in the first-degree home invasion and first-degree criminal sexual conduct. So an additional sentence of 39 months was handed down to Clay for these crimes. Good. Daniel Clay is currently serving his time at Kinross Correctional Facility in in Kinkello, Michigan. Chelsea Brooke is still remembered by the community and is missed every day by her family and friends. Usually, I end the episode by urging our listeners to call with any information regarding the case, but today I urge our listeners to just take a moment to pause and remember Chelsea Brooke. If you or anyone that you know is a victim of sexual assault, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at one 800 656 Four six seven three. As always, thank you for listening to Crime Connections. If you so kindly would please follow, share, and go like us on Facebook at Crime Connections, or follow us on Instagram at Crime Connections Pod. If you have any news, tips, or cases you want us to look into, please feel free to email or DM us. We love hearing from you guys. Bye. Bye.